Uh, We're going to take a pause from our Ephesians study in Christ, and we're going to spend uh, a few weeks in the Advent season looking at Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We're going to spend the next, uh, the next several weeks and Christmas Eve uh, looking at verses 8 through 21 of Luke chapter 2. This morning we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. So if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn to Luke's gospel, let me invite you to do that. Uh, the passage will be up on the screen in, in just a second. Uh, So this last Wednesday, I had a a wonderful invitation I was able to accept. Uh, I was the the visiting instructor for the middle school girls Bible study here at Green Tree Community Church. And I had the chance to sit with about, I don't know, there were probably 25 or so, uh, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade girls and talk about heaven. And that was really a wonderful experience. But I started out the evening because I was kind of the one person in the room that kind of looked different than everybody else. Uh, and I brought some candy kisses, and I gave everybody a little piece of chocolate, and I said, now, I've got some extra chocolate. Uh, we're going to start off with a contest. I'm going to pick three people to guess my age, and the one that comes the closest gets, you know, I've got like four extra candy kisses, gets, so three hands immediately shot up, which teaches something about people's personality, right? There's some people like, I don't think I know the answer. I'm not going to venture a guess, and then there are those of us who we don't care. We just want to get a crack at the candy, and so the first little girl shot her hand up, and I said, okay, what's your guess? And she smiled and said, 75. (laughs) I said, it's so sad that your parents are going to be excommunicated from Green Tree (laughs) Community Church. Uh, The next one, who's my favorite person at Green Tree now, said 48. Uh, But the winner was the one who said uh, 63, which is closest. I'm actually 59 uh, years old. So that was the the guess that was closest. But have you ever been in a situation where you kind of feel like you don't belong? You kind of feel like maybe you're the odd person out? Have you ever felt that way when it comes to the church? Have you ever felt like, you know, if people really knew what was in my heart, if people really knew the the things I had said or the things I thought or the things I had done, maybe I, you know, maybe... It really wouldn't be a place for me. Does God really love people like me? Has that thought ever crossed your mind? I would say if it hadn't crossed your mind, uh, it may be that you're not dealing in in reality. But most of us, from one time or another, feel that I'm not sure I deserve the love and the grace of God. The other end of that pendulum, which is just as, as damaging, is the sense that I look at others and think they don't belong. Uh, that I, I kind of look out and say, okay, well, I, you know, that person's okay, but boy, I'm just not sure that that person should receive the love of God. And, and you're probably sitting there thinking, Tom, I don't, I don't know that I do that. And I would say that's a much more subtle sin, but I do think it's actually a sin that is in our lives. And so this morning, as we, as we begin uh, this series in Advent and looking at Luke 2, we're going to look at a group of folks who really didn't belong, and yet they were the people to whom God came. And I believe in coming to them, what God is saying is that this salvation, this grace is for everyone everywhere, all the time. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, Jesus has has already been born uh, earlier in the day. And we pick up the story here. And in that same region, the region of the the small town of Bethlehem in, in southern Judea, in that same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Will you pray with me? I'm going to give you a moment for silent prayer and just invite you to ask God to speak to you this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together this morning to worship you. Father, as we, as we sing some traditional carols, we're uh, reminded of what's really important in this season of the year. Lord, as our, our schedules maybe get even busier than they already are, if that were possible, uh, it's hard for us to carve out time to, to sit and be still. Certainly, it's difficult for us to make that time to sit and be still at your feet. And hear your word. So, Father, I thank you for this time. Not only that we could lift our voices and sing, not only that we could participate in the sacrament of baptism, not only that we could offer our prayers to you, but, Father, also that we can listen to your voice. Father, my voice is not your voice. We don't come here to listen to me, Lord. We come here seeking your message. And so I pray that what we discern from this passage this morning will be your word to your people. Father, I'm quite certain that there are folks in this room who feel at moments out of place uh, because they look at their lives and they, and they see the reality and they, they feel in some way unworthy. Uh, they feel uh, some sense of shame or guilt. Father, I know that because I feel that at times. Uh, I certainly feel when I stand up here, you maybe picked the wrong guy. But we trust you, Lord. We trust your grace. And we trust this morning that you will show us that your uh, announcement of good news uh, is for all people. You call us to believe. You call us to, to set aside our fears and our anxieties, and our doubts, to set aside our pride and our arrogance, our self-assurance, and to put our trust in you. So, Lord, we pray that you would teach us that lesson this morning from your word. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of your teaching. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So where we're going to head this morning uh, is simply this. This is an announcement of good news and great joy for everyone, everywhere, all the time. So what I hope is that we can find ourselves in this passage this morning. I hope we can kind of put ourselves in the shoes or the sandals, as it were, uh, of the shepherds and understand uh, what God is doing here by announcing the birth of Jesus and the manner in which he chooses to announce it. We have four observations about this text, so let's dive right in. The first is looking at those who have been invited, looking at the shepherds. Uh, the shepherds in verse 8, it says they were uh, close by Bethlehem. Uh, they're keeping an eye on the flock at night. They're probably taking turns uh, for a couple hours. Some are getting some sleep. Some are watching the flock. Uh, they're guarding it from, from wolves, from robbers, from whatever, the, whatever you know, pestilence could come along. Uh, and they're taking turns doing their job. Uh, and they're out in the field, and, uh, and the Lord appears to them. But before we get to that part of it, when you think about the angels, what's the image that you have in your mind? I think we all kind of have that Christmas image uh, of, excuse me, of the angels of the shepherds. Uh, and the shepherds are, you know, there they are. They, they, they have on nice robes, and they're all carrying those nice staffs. And, and, and clearly they're looking at something amazing. And there's a, maybe an uncle or a dad with his arm around junior shepherd there. And it just looks so nice, doesn't it? It just looks, you want to be a shepherd. You look at that, you're like, oh, that wouldn't be, uh, that wouldn't be half bad. But that's not the reality of the life of shepherds. The life of shepherd was a lonely life and is to this day. 
Uh, you spend a lot of time with just a, a couple of people, and you're spending time uh, in the lowest social pecking order there is. Uh, in the time of Jesus and, and even up to today, shepherds are not necessarily well thought of. They're not highly respected. Nobody says to their, to their son or their daughter, you know, Johnny or Sally, you, if you work hard and you study in school, you could grow up and be a shepherd. Uh, that just wasn't something that, that took place in Jesus' day. Shepherds were very uh, mistrusted in the community. They, they had a tendency and a reputation for kind of forgetting whose sheep belonged to whom. And so if you ever watch the old American Western, you know, you see the brand that they put on the cattle. And you can say, well, that, that one goes to this rancher and that one goes to this rancher. They, they didn't have that for sheep. And sheep kind of all look the same. <laughs> They're all kind of white. Uh, and fluffy, and it's, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. And shepherds were known to say, well, maybe that one belongs to us. Let's go ahead and just assume it does and, and take it our way. So they were, they were mistrusted by folks. They're like, you don't want to be a shepherd. And, and if you see your kids hanging out with them, you kind of say, you know, come back and play with the nicer children. They had that kind of reputation. In fact, in the nation of Israel, if there were a crime committed uh, and, and someone was calling in witnesses for the prosecution or for the defense, shepherds were not allowed to give testimony. It was just taken out of hand that they were liars and they were not going to tell the truth. And yet these are the people to whom God appears. This is where the royal announcement sets its anchor on the planet earth. This is, is not just a crew of, uh, of commoners. This is a, a group of folks that were really uh, folks you didn't want to be around. People that you, you, you didn't want to land where they landed with their lot in life. And, and you would ask the question perhaps, Lord, why, why the shepherds? Uh, why, not, why not do this differently? Um, why not make a royal announcement in a place that's a little bit more fitting? But I believe the shepherds were honored by God's proclamation because God wanted to make sure that you and I understand that God's love is for everyone in every generation, in every social strata, whether uh, high or low as mankind describes it. God describes uh, human uh, dignity and, and human uh, life as everyone is of great value. Every person, regardless of whatever social stamp we may put on someone, God says their value, they are an object of my eternal love. And I think by starting with the shepherds, uh, he begins to make that point. I asked this question a few months ago in a sermon. I can't remember what the context was then, but I'm going to ask it again. Uh, the most recent royal wedding, I can't remember which one it was in Great Britain, but one of the princes got married. How many people in this room watched that wedding? We got a handful. Keep your hands up. How many of you watched it because although you got an invitation, you just couldn't carve out the time to go? Uh, nobody was invited to the royal. I am shocked with a, with a group of people like this. Joan Holly, I can't believe they didn't invite you to the royal wedding. I don't know what to say about that. You would think that, that uh, a God of the universe who is royal on top of royal on top of royal would find the cream of the crop, would, would find the very best that humanity had to offer and said, let me tell you something. And yet God doesn't. He, he introduces us to his son and to his grace and to his mercy by telling those who are most common, even those who are mistrusted, that God's grace is entering the world. If the message is for the shepherds, that means that the message is for all of us. 
Secondly, and just very briefly, I'm not going to take a lot of time with this, but I do want to look at the messenger uh, for just a moment. The angel of the Lord appears to them. And as that angel appears, he brings, uh, or she, angels actually are are not identified by a male or female, so the angel brings with them the glory of the Lord. And literally, the the early morning uh, of the night becomes as though it were day. This is an impressive display, and we'll get to, in in a couple of weeks, we'll get to the choir. Uh, We're going to leave them out for the time being, but we'll come back to them eventually and and see that this display gets even bigger and grander and and more amazing uh, as it goes on. Somebody we, uh, who was it yesterday, we were working to put the tree up outside yesterday afternoon, and uh, Sean Clausen showed me a picture. Uh, His wife, Patty, and one of their kids were in New York, and they showed me a picture as we were setting up our tree of the picture in Rockefeller Center. We're not quite there yet. We're not quite as, as impressive as that, but we're headed in the, in the right direction. That was quite a display of lights and greenery and, and absolute beauty. And, and God pulls out all the stops when he makes this announcement. God sends his, <clears throat> sends his angel, and it's an impressive display. And I think that means that we ought to take it seriously. I think it means that we ought to pay careful attention. God isn't letting this message slip between the cracks. He's sending a messenger that that commands the attention of the audience immediately. The shepherds react to this display. But as this messenger steps onto the scene, he he offers a bit of an odd command. The angel of the Lord appears to them. The glory shines around them. And then the angel says to them, don't be afraid. Now, I don't think that's odd in in the sense that This was kind of impressive, and it doesn't happen to you every day, and it might startle you, but the language there of the shepherd is not don't be startled like somebody just jumped out from behind the door and scared you. The language there isn't don't be surprised at what you're seeing because typically people don't see it. It's a deeper meaning that the fear not there is you have nothing of which to be afraid. Now, that's an odd command. The angel says, don't be afraid of me. The angel says, don't, don't be afraid of what I'm about to say. He says, there's nothing in your life that, that deserves your emotion of fear. It's a, it's a deep, deep statement. And when I think of that, the reason I think it's odd is because there's a lot of things in life to fear. There's a lot of things in life that, that, that cause us concern. Before the service started, I was standing with, with one of our folks by those back doors, and we were debating whether those doors should be unlocked on Sunday mornings or not, because the security people say it's probably better to keep those doors locked. Why? Because we're fearful that somebody might come in here and do something that they ought not do. And that's not an abstract fear. That's not unre- we, we, we read the papers. We, we know what happens in the world. There are a lot of things to fear. And put on top of that, this is a messenger from God. And the angel's telling me, you don't have anything to fear from God. And I want to say, have you looked at my biography? <laughs> have you looked at the way in which I've lived my life? And you're telling me I don't have anything to fear from a righteous, holy God? that's startling. That, that's a bit surprising. And yet the messenger comes and the first thing he says is, there's no room for fear in your life. Why is that? Well, it's because of the message, which is our third observation this morning. He says, fear not. Why? Because I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Now, you, you, you hear that and you think, well, that's, that's really wonderful. There, there's some, some good news. That, that's really nice that we have some good news. I, I need some good news every now and then. But to the shepherds who were Jewish, 
by their nationality. This notion of good news with great joy, even, even the shepherds knew that something different was up. Even the shepherds knew the words of the promises of the Old Testament. Even the shepherds were aware, even though they were probably some of the least educated people in Israel, that good news of great joy is something that they had heard over and over again from the Old Testament prophets. I'm just going to give you two examples of this language in the Old Testament, but you could literally find dozens of them. In Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah says this in chapter 40. Get up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The the prophet Isaiah is saying, celebrate today because something's going to happen in the future. The prophet Isaiah is saying, you can trust the word of God. You can trust that he's going to do what he sets out to do. And what he sets out to do is salvation and mercy and care and grace. He builds on this in, in the 61st chapter of Isaiah which Jesus actually quotes early on in his earthly ministry. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What the shepherds heard in this this phrase of good news and great joy was that the hope for God's salvation. The trust in the promise generation after generation after generation was now going to be fulfilled. It was going to be fulfilled in their lifetime. But there's even more here than that. There's not only good news of great joy, but to whom should we spread this news? To who who actually are the recipients of this message? Right, good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. Put your name in there. Uh, that's including us, all people. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of all people, but I tend to think of people that look like me. I tend to think about folks w- with whom I'd be comfortable. I found this picture. I actually don't know any of those people, but I looked at them, and other than the fact that they're younger than me, I thought, those looks like nice people to hang out with. They kind of look like like me, and, and, and I'd enjoy that. And so when I think of all people, you know, I kind of naturally goes to folks with whom I'd be comfortable. But think about all people for just a minute. That doesn't mean all people who kind of can clean themselves up and hold down a good job and, and carry on a nice social conversation when we're together uh, at the local charity event. This means people who are filled with shame. It means people who are angry, people who are so filled with anxiety they simply don't know what to do. These are people in every station of life, people who have nothing at all, who perhaps live on the street, and people who have mountains of cash. They have everything. There are people that I love, and truth be told, there are people I hate. You see, God's grace is not limited by 
my bigotry, nor is it limited by your assumptions. God's grace is not limited by majorities or minorities, by liberals or conservatives, Jew or Gentile, American, Asian, African, European, even Australian, and if there were any, Antarcticans. I actually looked that up and found out there are no indigenous people to Antarctica, which makes sense because you can't sustain life there. But if anybody were there, they would also be included. Rich, poor, middle class, upper class, and people with absolutely no class at all. People that are happy or people that are sad, successful folks, people that are abject failures by the world's standards. Black, white, brown, red, pale. The gospel is for all. The mercy of God is either offered up to everyone or it's offered up to no one. But this promise tells us that it's for everyone, everywhere, all the time. I may opt out. You may choose not to believe, but the invitation is for everyone. And the shepherds being the recipients of that invitation, the immediate words of the angel, don't be afraid of anything in all of the universe. Why? Because there's good news of great joy, and it's not because somebody else is celebrating, but it's because you can experience the redemption and the mercy of God. In other words, it's what I'm uh, looking at in our fourth observation. It's God's promise fulfilled. It's God keeping his word. Verse 11, he says, it's for uh, to you is born this day in the city of David, in the city of the king, a savior who is Christ the Lord. This Old Testament promise, which is the Old Testament promise. There, there are many prophecies in the Old Testament. And, and there are some that, that actually don't have to do specifically with Jesus. They, they cover other topics. But if you were going to pick one consistent promise in the Old Testament over and over and over again, to the extent that whatever comes in second place is so far in the rearview mirror, it doesn't even begin to compare. It's the promise of Messiah. It's the promise of God in the flesh. Isaiah 35 uh, puts it this way. I'm going to go back to Isaiah's prophecy for just a minute. I'm actually not going to, Javi, that's not a mistake. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm just going to read it because it's a little bit, a little bit longer. But in Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 10, just listen to this promise. Say to those who have been anxious of heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for his waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes and a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. An unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk in the way, even if those are, even if they are fools. They shall not go astray. That's where my name comes into that passage. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come into Zion with singing. 
everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What a glorious promise that God gives through the prophet Isaiah. What he's speaking of is salvation. And so I want to come back to verse 11 for just a minute and and look at these words that are used to describe the Savior, because each one of them mean something specific. And we're just going to touch on them. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I think it's important to point this out. Uh, And I'm not going to work at them in order. The first one I want to point out is Christ. The notion here is is the anointed one. That's what, what Christ literally means. Uh, And in the Old Testament context, there were two people that were anointed to their office. One was the king, and the other one was the priest. Uh, And we say that Jesus fulfills the office of prophet and priest and king. And here specifically, by calling him the Christ, we're talking about the priest who, who, who represents the people to God and represents God to the people, and the king who rules over the people as God's servant to care for the nation. He's the chosen one and chosen for a specific role, a specific task. When you say Christ Jesus, you're talking about one who has been chosen to do what? He's chosen to be the Lord's anointed. He is the Lord. Christ the Lord, which means he is the representative of the all-powerful one, the one who is able to uh, complete our salvation, the one who, who won't come up short, the one who won't a- almost make it to the goal line, but because our sin is so much stronger, won't quite be able to get us into heaven. This is the one who has the power to save. But not only is he Christ the Lord, but his purpose, his role, and the power that he's going to use to fulfill that role is for what? It's to be the Savior, to be the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Protector, the Liberator, the one who pulls us out of darkness and into light. This is what I call the the trifecta of grace. The Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is why you don't have to fear, because God has has left nothing to chance. His redemption is going to be perfect. I I remember, and this really probably is not a very fair analogy, but I remember when I first really starting to get to know my son-in-law, Richard. And Richard is like my hero because he can handle my daughter. <laughs> I never could. I'll be honest with you. I love Katie. I would die for Katie, but, but she's like her papa. They're just both strong wills. And, and Richard is strong, and he's gentle, and he's respectful, and he's kind. And, and he's like, gosh, Lord, this is the perfect uh, friend and mate and, and partner for Katie, that you just couldn't have done any better than you, you did with Richard. And, and like I say, the analogy loses something because that's no comparison to Christ. But I want you to know as you think about your salvation, as you think about the grace of God, that he didn't do it haphazardly. That the Lord Jesus came with a specific role, with all the power of the universe behind him, in order to do what? In order to assure your salvation in mind. God's all-powerful, hand-picked priest, king, redeemer, provides salvation for all who believe. So there's two application questions this morning. The first is this, have you owned this love for yourself in faith? Or are you still feeling like you're on the outside looking in because of the way you've lived or the things you've thought or, or whatever the case may be? Do you understand that God is offering you his free grace? He began with an announcement to the shepherds, and it's now for everyone 
every place, all of the time. And the only requirement is that you believe. The only requirement is that you trust in God. That's why we say we want this little one to grow up in a place where she hears about Jesus. Why? Because of this announcement to the shepherds that we've been looking at this morning. But there's one other application for us this morning, and I think it's a collective application as a church. Are we creating a spiritual family in our day and age for all the people? Anybody who walks through the doors of Green Tree Community Church, what we call Green Tree Community Church, we know the church is actually, it's people, not a building, but folks find us here on Sundays gathered together. Will our visitors that are here this morning who chose to to come and spend some time with us, will they leave thinking those were really kind and gracious people who loved the Lord and showed me his love? Or will they think, you know what, nobody even knew that I came and I went. When folks who come in, who, who, as I freely admitted, there are folks that look a lot different than me, am I going to say, I'm so glad you're here. We're here to serve you, not the other way around. We're so thankful that you would, you would take time to explore the claims of Christ with us. That's an easy thing to say, friends. I, I, I want this to be true. I don't think there's anybody in this room, even if you're a visitor, you're like, yeah, church ought to be that way. I don't think any of us would, would argue with that, but how are we going to live our lives? What are the choices that we're going to make collectively as a congregation? that would say to this community, to the St. Louis area, this is a place for everyone. God's grace, this announcement of good news and great joys for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your goodness. Father, we thank you that you demonstrated your announcement first to the shepherds. To those who most of us would say, well, why, why those folks? Uh, why not somebody who's a little more important, someone who has a little more prestige, someone who, who actually could run a good PR campaign for you and let, let's get the word out with, with people that are reliable and trustworthy. Lord, I believe you came to those who were on the outs of society because you wanted to make sure everybody knew that there wasn't anyone who would be unreached by your love. Lord Jesus, we thank you that Not only as we celebrate Advent, but as we look at your life and ministry, the Gospels, that's exactly what you did. You you went to everybody. So, Father, I pray that every person in this room would, would claim this salvation by faith. That we would set aside our shame, we'd set aside our arrogance, whatever whatever might be keeping us from you, and that we would put our trust in you and you alone this morning. And Lord Jesus, I also pray that this congregation would not give lip service to be in a place where everyone is welcome, but that we would commit ourselves to follow you into this community, into this region, into this city with the express purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that makes everyone know his welcoming love, his welcoming invitation is for them. We pray in Christ's name, amen.